Hi friends, this is Bethany Jennings, and you're listening to We Should Talk. It's a podcast where we talk about anything and everything to encourage, equip, and empower you to be a decent human. Let's talk. Have you ever had a really cool opportunity or experience in life? You were real excited about it, but the closer it got, you thought, oh no, I'm going to die. We're going to talk about that today. Before we dive right in, there's some stuff that some people want to tell you, so we'll be right back. So, as promised, we're going to talk about feeling like you're going to die when you get a good opportunity or experience. Not really going to die, like physically die, but maybe like socially die or (laughs) you feel very stressed about it. We are going to talk today about imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. It's a very catchy phrase. Um, a lot of people have been using it lately in the past few years um, as pop psychology keeps popping up, pun intended. But here's the deal, Pickles. Imposter syndrome, quote unquote, as it were, isn't actually a thing. Imposter phenomenon is a thing. The imposter phenomenon is the actual term. But to say syndrome implies that it is diagnosable or medical. Um, It's more external in that it can be setting specific. That's imposter phenomenon. It's more of an external thing. It's just not um, intrinsically yours and you take it with you in every setting. Uh, and you can diagnose that in a person in you know most settings, it is a phenomenon and meaning it occurs in certain settings for certain people at certain times. So it is it is imposter phenomenon is a thing, but a lot of times it, it's popularly referred to as imposter syndrome. Now, a syndrome, again, has to be diagnosable. We've talked about this before in the DSM and how to diagnose things, and there's a whole list of requirements that you have to meet and in which order and some have to be there and others are optional. Again, diagnosing is a big deal. You should be a professional before you start doing that. Get qualified. But imposter phenomenon, meaning it occurs like there's this strange phenomenon. It is a recurring thing, but not diagnosable to a human because it's not intrinsic. It is an external setting situation. So let's talk about imposter syndrome slash phenomenon. It's not gender-specific. Males and females experience it. It's not age-specific. You can be five years old. You can be 500 years old and still experience imposter syndrome or phenomenon. It's not even race-specific because, again, it is subjective to the setting, right? People of all gender, all two of them, (laughs) uh, and all ages, and all races, and all social, socioeconomic classes, and all of those things can be in multiply, like multiply, <laughs> can be in multiple different settings. And because imposter syndrome or phenomenon is setting specific and not person specific, it is not specific to those qualifications of humanity. But it does present itself in two 
basic ways. Imposter syndrome presents itself in two basic ways. It presents itself as over-preparation or procrastination. So imposter syndrome looks like two different things. Over-preparation or procrastination. And it's like that; those are opposite ends of the spectrum. How are both of those imposter syndrome? Well, we're going to talk about it. It can look like uh, perfectionism. From one perspective, it's, well, if I'm going to do this, I will be the best. If I'm, if I'm taking this opportunity, I'm killing it. If I'm going to go give this presentation at work, they're going to talk about it for years to come, right? <laughs> so it can look like that. Or you could flip it, again, same coin, different side, and say, if it can't be the best, I'm not doing it. So either I'm doing it and I'm going to kill it and you put a lot of pressure on yourself or, oh, I ain't doing that because I may not be the best. Both of those play into imposter phenomenon. A lot of times we do this based on an assumption that we've made about ourselves According to social norms, um, for example, if you are the only uh, male teacher at the school, because let's face it, most teachers are female. It's a whole female fest at most of these schools. <laughs> Not all of them, but most of them. If you're the only male teacher at a school and they ask you to present something, some concept or some whatever at a teacher work day, that can be a lot of pressure because you don't want to come across as whatever, demeaning to women or like you think you know everything or any of those things. And so you think, well, maybe I'm not qualified to speak to this room full of women because I'm a man, right? Most of the time, though, it's the opposite of that in that you're the only female in the corporate office or you're the only female oh, welder. I don't know, we have lots of welders around where we're at. We have lots of refineries here in Southeast Texas um, and different places that require welding. So maybe you're the only female on the job site and you are asked to be a supervisor and you think, oh, I can't take this opportunity. I'm not qualified. Well, why aren't you qualified? How many years have you worked there? What is your educational background? What is your experience background? You're not qualified simply because you're not a male, right? We disqualify ourselves based on social norms because normally in that specific social setting, men run the show and men are the ones doing, you know, the work because they don't hire a lot of women. Uh, one one uh, occupation, one field that is very short of women until here recently, I think it's becoming more normal, is engineering. Women engineers... You become a woman engineer, you're going to get hired because they got to meet them quotas. However, you still may deal with some imposter syndrome feelings, right? They only hired me because I'm a woman. That's like one of the most common imposter syndrome statements, imposter phenomenon statements. Yeah, I got this opportunity, but it's only because, and then you disqualify the opportunity presented, right? Or you disqualify the role that you earned. Um, let's say engineering, we have a, a university here 
uh, here in our backyard that um, it, engineering is one of the one of the main things that they, they are known for, and so people come from worldwide to do the engineering program. So I thought about it. Um, so again, if I'm not going to be the best. I'm not going to do it, or if I'm going to do it, it better be the best. And we do this based, we we discount ourselves or disqualify ourselves, no matter how qualified we are, based on assumptions we've made about ourselves based on social norms, right? We see this sometimes with a lot of women ministers, and it can go both ways. (laughs) It can go both ways in that a woman is called to a form of ministry that is predominantly male currently. And I'm trying to say <laughs> trying to say this in a nice way. It's currently predominantly male. Um, and so we think, oh, I have to tiptoe and I can't actually say all the things that the Lord is prompting me to say. And I can't actually minister those things that the Lord is wanting me to minister because I'm a woman. So we have that side of it. And then we have the flip side of it in which women, some women ministers are very, very aggressive and overtly so boisterous about things. And it, it takes away some of that meekness that should be adorning the woman, if you know what I mean. And so both of those have a very hard time being received by males and females. Right, So if you are feeling the need to tiptoe around everything, you don't get the message across. But if you feel the need to scream the message, some people can't hear you. <laughs> so sometimes, not just when ministers and not just in a pulpit, but sometimes in life we're saying things so loud that people can't hear them. Right, Proverbs says a soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes you got to slow down and just say what needs to be said without screaming. So, based on social norms, we will make assumptions and disqualify ourselves. But it can also be based on our feelings of imposter syndrome or phenomenon. It can also be based on a message we've been told by someone who we allow to have influence in our lives. Now, this could be a a parent figure. This could be a spiritual figure. This could be um, a spouse. This could be even your own child, right? Especially if you have one of them snotty teenagers that thinks they know everything. Like, Mom, don't do that. It's stupid. People think you're stupid. For the record, I feel like like every child goes through something similar to that. But remember, they're children. And you're the adult. Don't let them control your life. You are the boss of you. So we can believe things that people say about us. So if as a child you were told, um, oh, they only want to be friends with you because your brother's popular. Or they only want to date you because of your last name. Or, well, the teacher knows our family. That's why she gave you that opportunity. Or there's lots of options. So as a child, if you're told these things, then you start to believe that you cannot achieve certain things on your own merit. You start to believe, well, I'm only successful because of who I know. 
or I'm only successful because I happen to be born to these parents or I'm only popular because I happen to be related to so-and-so. And so you start to feel like your your intrinsic value is decreased and the only reason you have value or the ability to contribute in certain settings is because of other people and not yourself. Um, with the parental figure, I mean, obviously your siblings can, can say things to you. Um, if you're in a spiritually abusive relationship, you know, a spiritually abusive, like meaning like with the, with the spiritual leader in the church, um, may, maybe, I mean, it could be a pastor that you've dealt with in the, in, you know, in your, in your history. Um, it could be a leader in the church. It could be, could be a lot of things. It could just be a fellow saint in the church. Um, it doesn't have to be leadership. And I don't ever want, I never, ever, ever want our listeners to think that I would disrespect the ministry and pastoral relationships. But reality is, um, they, they are human as well. The church is made up of humans. And so human flaws tend to show up sometimes, but that I never, ever, ever want my listeners to think that I am discounting their ministry, their leadership, their covering, not at all. But you will see this if you get someone into your church who has previously been in an abusive spiritual relationship, um, they may not trust their ability to hear the voice of God. They may not trust their own prayers. They may not trust that they can make righteous decisions without a ridiculous amount of counsel or they need someone else to pray for for their need or they need instead of trusting their own prayers and that could be because a a relationship that was spiritually based be it a friend a department leader a pastor or whatever may have preached that to them or may have you know repeatedly told them well, we know you're carnal, so we'll do the praying, right? Even if it's offhanded comments like that, when it's constant, you start to believe it. Or, well, I don't know why you would make that decision. Did you even talk to the pastor at all? Well, I chose to eat a tuna sandwich. I don't think I need to talk to the pastor about that specific lunch menu item. And so when it comes to the smallest decisions, that was a bit of a hyperbole, but when it comes to the smallest decisions in life, we think, oh, we cannot progress without four counseling sessions with the bishop. And it's not, it's not that the bishop doesn't want to counsel you, and it's not that counsel is wrong. I mean, Scripture says there's safety in a multitude of counsel, wise counsel. But you don't have to get counseling on your lunch menu items. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to ask the bishop... Or the bishop's wife or the pastor's wife. Should I buy this red dress or this green dress? Right? You have the ability to make good decisions. Now, are there some decisions that if you feel like you need counsel, like big decisions about your family, about jobs, about finances, about where your kids go to school. about If it's a big decision for your family, first of all, you pray about it. And then... Obviously, seek wise counsel. Not everybody's counsel, because everybody ain't wise. But seek wise counsel. But you still have to trust your own relationship with God. 
But there are times in our prayer lives we feel like imposters because we've been told over and over again, you can't trust your own prayers. Don't blame that on God. Yeah. That has been said to a human that I know. Oh, you really felt that? Don't blame that on God. Oh, okay. And so that causes that kind of verbiage, that kind of talk causes us to question our ability to talk to the Lord and to feel like even when I am talking to the Lord, I'm just a faker. I'm just acting like I'm a Christian. I'm just acting like I know what I'm doing. So there are some ways to manage this imposter syndrome and move past it. The little voice that says you don't deserve to be here. The little voice that says you're a faker. They're going to find out you're a fraud. That little voice in your head. It does sometimes fade with maturity and experience. So the more you pray and the more those prayers are answered, you start to find out. Oh, I am qualified to pray. Okay. Or, you know, the more... Uh, promotion you get on your job, the longer you are there, the more appreciated you begin to feel, you start to realize, oh, this isn't just because I'm a woman. This isn't just because uh, I'm a black person. This isn't just because they need to meet some kind of quota and hire a minority. No, I, I have been here. I have earned my time here. I have earned their respect. And so time and maturity help. They really do. But here are a few ways to start silencing that voice while we're waiting on experience and maturity to help us out. Number one, achieve goals for yourself and not just to prove others wrong. If you're going to achieve something, do it because it's something you want to do and not just to prove to other people that you can do it. You understand? For example, I have multiple degrees, but I was st- <laughs> I was still pushing and going to school after I married David. And he said, "Babe, why are you why are you going for that?" The specific field that I was getting a master's in at that point. He said, "Why are you still going for that?" I said, Because that's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I have to get this. That's the next step. And he's like, okay, but is it going to help you? Like professionally, will will you get a raise? I was like, I don't know. He said, okay, spiritually, like could it help you in your ministry? I said, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. He said, then why are you doing it? And it dawned on me, I don't really care about that specific master's degree. Why am I still pushing to get it? Because that was the next step. Because that's what was expected. And so I was achieving, achieving, achieving. You know, shoulder shoulder to the plow. Get through it. Work your face off. But that's not what needed to happen in my life. And so I said, you know what? I don't need to achieve that specific thing for me to do what needs to be done. In the calling that God has put on me. And so I dropped it. I dropped it. Are there other educational fields that 
did help me professionally and did it set me up for different areas of ministry? Yes. Did I pursue some of them? Yes. Am I still planning to pursue some of them? Yes. But it's because I feel like that's what God needs me to do, not because that's what other people expect me to do. So if you're going to achieve things, do it for yourself, for the Lord, and not to prove that it can be done. Also, pretty practical way here to start silencing that little voice that tells you you're an imposter, you're a faker, and everyone's going to find out that you don't know what you're talking about. Keep a regular log of amazing things you've done to look at when you're feeling like you're in the wrong place. It can be simple things like, I aced that exam. I'm not faking my way through this. Like, I know the material. Or the boss bragged on me today for a job well done. Or it can be whatever. It can be the little things. It can be the big things. But if imposter syndrome slash phenomenon is something you really are struggling with, keep a little journal. It can be on your phone, whatever. Just a thing, a list of achievements that you have um, accomplished, amazing things that you have, you have conquered so that you can realize I conquered that. And not the people telling me I don't belong here. And not the little voice in my head saying I don't belong here. Right? And the third and final way is to realize that any achievement is because God allowed it. I'm not saying every opportunity is a God opportunity. You have to use wisdom. And again, that wise counsel we were talking about before. But if it's something you achieve, God allowed you to be there. Okay? It's not that you're there simply because you're a minority. It's not that you're there simply because of who your parents are or who you're married to or somebody else's last name or your new last name or whatever. If you were there, if God didn't want you there, he would not have allowed you to be there. So if you are Achieving things, if you are standing before people and presenting things and being a leader, if you're a leader on your job, if you're the supervisor, if you are the the employee of the month, if you are whatever you are, if you're student of the month, if you're mom of the year, whatever you are, if you're asked to teach a Sunday school lesson, if you have been asked to lead a discipleship class, if you you may not feel qualified and that's okay. But the Lord's going to equip you because that's where he wants you. All right. So number one, achieve goals for yourself and not to prove people wrong. Number two, keep a regular log of the amazing things that happen, not based on someone else's opinion of you and last name, but things that you do. And three, remember that the Lord has got you where he wants you. So that's a. Imposter syndrome, in brief, honestly, it could go way deeper than this. But we're going to stop here for today. I hope this has been encouraging and enlightening, and it helps you to be a decent human. We'll see you next time. Well, that was fun. Uh, I'm glad you stuck around for the whole thing. And thank you for talking to me today. Y'all go like and follow and review and do all the podcast things that people do. And um, don't forget to be a good human.